0: Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day.
1: Welcome to the latest podcast episode we have. Now, today is extra special because it's a consolidated podcast for both the mouthy IP and dirty drinks. So why you're wondering, why is this one so special? Tell us more, Sarah.
0: Thanks, Dan. So today we have a very special guest and um, his presence on our podcast kind of bridges the gap between dental infection control and The awesome people we talked to on dirty drinks so we thought we might as well just record one episode and post it in both places so we hope that everybody enjoys it um with that being said um we have uh, myself dan is here and we also have our kind of normal cast of characters dr rick starlin is on hi rick
2: hi sarah Uh, delighted to be here i'm really looking forward to learning some things today this is not in my strike zone normally so i'm i'm excited awesome. the cat has already made an appearance so oh, it's, it's yep. really <laughs> is a real podcast now
0: not it's not a real podcast until the cat comes on camera <laughs> um, we also have the lovely kate tyner thank you for
3: having me here today i'm also very excited that we have one of our uh, brothers in arms it sounds like on the call today
0: yeah and then our special guest today is dr steve geierman who is a dentist extraordinaire, public health professional and advocate for dental health safety. So, thank you for joining us today, Steve. We're so My happy pleasure. to have you on. Thank you. Um, so before we started recording, you gave us a great background of kind of where you grew up in your professional life. So, would you like to tell our guests a little bit about that?
4: Sure. So, <clears throat> I am a retired captain in the US public health service. I uh my dad worked at Monsanto Chemical, made also, and I hated my dentist. And that's because I'm old. Back in the days before people wore gloves, and dentists smoked in their office. He smoked two packs of Marlboro a day. And those little stogie fingers were in my mouth. And it was like ick. But I went to dental school at University of Michigan. Graduated in 1983, but I didn't have a dad to move over in the practice, and I certainly didn't want to go back to my dentist, and I went to the Indian Health Service, and I thought I'd stay for two years. I stayed for 24, and during that period of time, I was a dental director within the Indian Health Service, uh, within federally qualified health centers. I was a project officer for the National Health Service Corps and for the HIV AIDS Bureau, which gave you great infection control uh, information early on. And I was a HRSA regional dental consultant for the upper Midwest. I was the eyes, ears, hands, and feet of central office and helping our projects move forward with oral health. And I do need to say from the start, when I was in dental school, I would use the terms dental and oral health synonymously. I would never do that today. And this is important for Rick because Dental is something I do with my fingers. It's a procedure. It's how dentists get paid. I'm more interested in the bigger picture. It's oral health. Oral health is integral and essential to overall health care. And when you look from pregnant women across the lifespan to our esteemed elders, there is not a single scenario that we could talk about where oral health is not important to that. And I retired in 2008 from the public health service. I had two glorious days of retirement and I was allured to the ADA and the American Dental Association. I've always been a member. You cannot be, you cannot have a voice unless you're a member. And I worked for the council that did not look inward at the dentist. We were that suspect council that looked outward towards the oral health of the public. And I thrived for almost 15 years, I retired this past July, and uh, it was a really good time and my work is not done. I serve on several boards and I'll let natural attrition happen there. And I am uh, the chair elect of the Organization for Safety, Asepsis and Prevention, better known as OSAP. And uh, it is a pleasure being here with you. And uh, I can't wait to hear some questions that will stump me and I'll have to ask Sarah to answer them. So thank you.
0: (laughs) I always get the hard questions.
4: (laughs) Cool, there you go.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, You've got a lot going on right now. And um, I know that Kate has some good questions for you.
3: So Steve, I'm particularly interested to talk about the Dental Patient Safety Foundation.
4: So will
3: you um, set us up and tell us more about that organization, please?
4: I will. So if we go back, I had said that I worked for the council, originally the Council on Access Prevention Interprofessional Relations, and it morphed into the Council on Advocacy, really important word to get in your council's name, Council on Advocacy for Access and Prevention. And because we looked outward, it's such a vast universe. We had uh, at least six to seven advisory committees of experts who would come in. And one of mine was the Medicaid advisory committee. And they would bring up all kinds of subjects. And one of the topics one night was sedation deaths of children in Texas. And we just weren't happy with the responses that were Being followed up on there. And it was a pediatric dentist in Texas that brought it up. And we started nosing around and we were introduced to the term of a culture of safety in dentistry. Now, we are not unique. Since Lucian Leap, what a great name. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love alliteration. Lucian Leap wrote To Air as Human Mm -hmm. over 30 years ago and medicine has been climbing this hill of their own culture of safety for over 30 years. And along with nurses, along with pharmacists, and we'll we'll come to that in a minute. But we started asking questions. And I'll be honest and say, we wanted to investigate this further because dentistry is generally an isolated profession. We have our own silos. And I had mentioned uh, to this uh, esteem group earlier that when I was in dental school, I would use the terms dental and oral health synonymously. I wouldn't now. Dental is something I do with my fingers. It's a procedure. Oral health is the bigger picture and it's how everything fits together. Oral health is integral to overall health. So we were curious about a culture of safety in dentistry and what we could learn from others. And we did get the ADA trustees and the House of Delegates uh, to, to give us time to investigate this. And uh, we were not met with open arms. Dr. Geierman, why are you asking these questions? You know my practice is safe and we learned early on that one of our mantras is, we don't know what we don't know. And so we we did a lot of investigating. We really followed the major tenets that uh, the early work in medicine was doing. And one of the pieces that was missing, and COVID helped us because we're doing this in the midst of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. The pandemic actually did help move individual practices forward, but we needed to know, how can I learn from others? Think about aviation. It is safer to fly in a plane than it is to drive a car. And part of that is if there's a near-miss or an adverse incident, it is thoroughly investigated. What were the possible causes? What can we do to avoid that? And pilots read that like the fifth gospel. Dentistry doesn't do that. They, they're very closed. If something bad happens, let's just address it and hope it goes away. So we. I was introduced to the Dental Patient Safety Foundation. It is a PSO, a patient safety organization. And my medical colleagues know what those are. There's bunches of them around the country and <clears throat> entities like hospitals, when there's A near miss or an adverse incident, they have to write it up. And they learn from each other. And it is a cool system. There is one dental patient safety organization, and it's in my backyard. I live in Chicago. It's out by O'Hare, that big thriving metropolis of an airport. And the Dental Patient Safety Foundation, and if you Google that, Dental Patient Safety Foundation, you'll get lots of good info. It was formed in, I want to say, 2017 for just that same reason. Dentists or anyone could offer examples of near misses adverse incidents. They would be gathered in an anonymous, non-discoverable manner, collected, and reports would be written that people could read so they could avoid that challenge themselves. And if you go on the site there are approximately 20 reports. Uh, One of the most striking is about patients catching on fire. And when you think about how many people only want to see the dentist under nitrous, blue is my favorite color. It is not good if you're blue, uh, Kate. So instead of just nitrous oxide, I do have a fair amount of oxygen mixed in there so that you maintain your lovely color Oxygen is flammable, flammable. So if I happen to be, you know, just smoothing off a crown with a high speed and it throws a spark, boom. And it's like, and I've told that story and I watch a dentist's face pale when they think about how lucky they are. The challenge is last year at our House of Delegates, which is a the big gathering where ADA policy is formed. Las Vegas 2021, we had a resolution passed that said the ADA encourages, you know, we don't have the authority to do stuff, but as a member organization with 170,000 members, we carry some weight. And the resolution said the ADA encourages all dentists to, in a voluntary, non-discoverable, anonymous manner to report near misses and adverse incidents to the Dental Patient Safety Foundation so that we all might learn without having to experience the adverse incident ourselves. It has been almost 11 months since that meeting took place and that policy was passed. I sit on the board of the Dental Patient Safety Foundation. Would you like to guess, uh, Dan, how many reports we've received from dentists about near misses and adverse incidents?
1: I'm I'm not good at guessing, but I'm gonna say zero.
4: That is correct. And I will tell you, we are human. To err is human. And errors are not our symptoms, consequences, they're not causes. You know, we could read James Reason's book and actually learn that it is, it is not about blame, it's about evaluating and moving forward. So the reason, and so the Dental Patient Safety Foundation, very few dentists know about it, but we've been doing a lot of work and I will share later on ADACE Online in front of the firewall, so you do not have to be a dentist or a member, Anyone can access the site. Just create an account, and you can see these this information uh, freely. And one of the things there is an introduction to a culture of safety. We did that for the Academy of General Dentists about uh, three years ago. It's really nice presentation, very clear. But just this past January, we did. Uh, we were We were introduced to a group in the University of Washington called the Collaborative for Accountability and Improvement. They are a very interesting group. Tom Gallagher, an internist, is the executive director. It's a group of lawyers with a few Mm -hmm. healthcare consultants. They've been around more than 20 years and they have helped physicians, their medical colleagues, nurses, and pharmacists Embrace transparency. Most dentists do not wanna share their dirty laundry of near misses and adverse incidents because, oh my God, they'll sue me. I'm a University of Michigan boy, undergrad and dental school. The big university medical system. So we're talking the general hospital, children's cancer, go through women's. They made uh, a policy And it was more than just a policy, but it was a commitment, full transparency. And after a good number of years, they released their data. Their liability and risk went down 60%. So we have been sharing this information with our dentists. And we did a survey this spring of just a small sample. We're doing a bigger one this fall. But we found that 93% of dentists do not feel adequately prepared or have access to the appropriate resources to to address an adverse incident with their patient, with the patient or with their peers. In August of this year, just last month, we brought that information to the ADA trustees and they Actually, uh, committed a sizable chunk of change for the collaborative on accountability and improvement to actually survey between two and 3,000 of our members on attitudes and experience so that we have a really strong foundational baseline about because we know this is something we need. And I'll end this little part by saying we will create some educational modules to help people understand this better, but the one people are hungering for, and they've done this in medicine. When something bad happens, for you to open up this module called Just In Time, and it's about a 12-minute little video that reminds you, how do I share this information with my patient and my peers in a manner that we all benefit. Transparency is the precondition to a culture of safety. I'm sorry, Kate, I will keep my answers much more succinct in the, in the future, but that lays the foundation for what we're talking about. Did that make sense to you all?
3: That was fantastic, Steve. I have three pages of notes, all right.
4: Ah, cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, I, I gotta... just want to say <laughs> yay, and thank you for your hard work. That this is something that needs to has needed to happen for a very long time. So,
4: well, I do want to say we're not in this alone. Uh, our pediatric dental colleagues, they have been working on this for a while. So have the oral surgeons. So has the radiologists. Uh, gentle, gentle imaging would be their word for it. Dental anesthesia has been doing the same. And when you think about you know, it doesn't matter which company you want to pick, but healthcare providers hate insurance people no matter what, <laughs> but they're actually good people. And the special one here, because they're us, it's the dental risk liability insurance people, CNA, the dental insurance company on the West Coast. There's bunches of them. They have a vested interest in reducing this as well. For their networks. So we have found just a kinship with them. And as you might imagine, dental schools as well. And most dental schools, they have excellent safety programs. They protect the patients, the students slash residents, and the institution. And I, of course, asked the bad question: that's great. If there are 28 options that your graduates could take when they graduate? And if half of them involve starting something from scratch, are they going to be lucky like me to have dental assistants who are old enough to be my mom that I was smart enough to listen to? But if they have to do it themselves, have you given them the tools about Not what I'm talking about today, but what does it mean to do dental infection control? And it's more than just doing a weekly spore test on your autoclave. A lot of students think, does every office have these two windows? Dirty goes in here and the clean stuff comes out here. The dental schools that actually have juniors and or seniors spend two weeks in central sterilization. Students hate it at first. By the time they walk out, it's like, thank you. They you know they may not do it themselves but they're ultimately responsible and they may have to train and that's why groups like OSHA, OSAP, CDC yourselves were essential uh, and there's a delightful little OS, OSAP video called if saliva were red and where and where the guy the dentist at the time is wearing a white coat and within 1 minute the saliva, which is stained red, looks like Kate's blouse, and it's like, wow, we're in a butcher shop. And we all know that universal precautions are no longer just bloodborne pathogens; it's airborne path- pathogens as well. The new, the new version is coming out hopefully by uh, end of the year, and the OSEP board made a determination recently that all dental students, hygiene students, and dental assisting students will be members, offered membership in OSAP. Free access to all the information. If they choose to continue once they graduate, it's not that pricey. But even if they don't, they'll know who we are when they need us.
3: That's awesome. That's fantastic, Steve. Where to begin? Um, So, something that you um, talked about that is a lot of our audience is healthcare, especially the Dirty Drinks podcast audience, um, as opposed to oral healthcare. And so, one of the questions that you related um, tell us more about what the process in most states, in absence of a patient safety foundation, when something goes wrong, like who, if if a dentist is liable or it did something wrong, who reports that? Who do they report it to and who investigates it? What is the general path of that?
4: I mute because there are not guidelines. Okay, I just spoke to the new, uh, at the new dental school in El Paso It's the right thing to do to report, but we have no guidelines on who should do it. What are the protocols? Things are changing. When I graduated, 80% of dentists were in private practices. They were kings and queens in their own realms. There was no obligation to report anything. Nowadays, that percentage is about 60% and there are dental service organizations, DSOs, we call them. You might think about Pacific or Aspen, those kind of entities. And, and also think on both coasts, Kaiser Permanente Mm -hmm. versus United Healthcare, where they're not just medical, but there is an oral health and a mental health uh, component. Better for worse at times, you know, but we're, we're learning our place
3: Mm
4: -hmm. and so we are bringing oral health into the fore. If I were to ask you, Dan, what kind of oral health benefits are there in Medicare? Do you know that answer? It's pretty I, similar to the answer you said before.
1: I'm gonna guess two then.
4: It is zero? That is correct. <laughs> and
1: I just didn't want to be cocky, you know. Always no, guessing you did, right. well.
4: you did really well. <laughs> but I bring that up because. Uh, it's important. The, the new CMS Dental Director, we've only had uh, three. Dan Schneider, Lynn Mowden, and now Natalia Chalmers. And we've made progress. Dan Schneider, he was situated on the Medicare side. Well, that was nuts. There was no oral health benefit in Medicare, but it was safe to put in there. Uh, Lynn Mountain was on the Medicaid side. I would say there were two to 400 medical consultants at CMS, one dentist, and still hidden in a broom closet. Natalia Chalmers sits in the administrator's office. So oral health has moved up. And right now, there is a path afoot to talk about can we have oral health benefits based on medical necessity? And I, I argue with the ADA on a regular basis. It's like, mm, I think I could we could agree to these three diseases. And it's like, oh, I'm really sorry. You may be organized dentistry, but you don't have a license. I do. And I can make the case for anything as long as I can justify it through a prior authorization. That's what medical necessity is. And I bring that up because it, it's not just Bernie Sanders. There are many elected representatives at the state and the federal level Mm -hmm. that, that are, that are understanding the importance of oral health. And right now there is a, and you'll think, why are you telling me all this? It it does lead right back to safety because these are all pieces of a puzzle. Uh, kids, because of E P S D T early periodic screening diagnosis and treatment through Medicaid and the CHIP program, children's health insurance program, they are guaranteed by law to have care. Not every state. Once you get to be twenty one. Have adult care. We are advocating not just organized dentistry, but over almost a hundred collaborative organizations to actually have comprehensive adult oral health benefits brought to the fore. And it's not just being a do-gooder. It's all there's always the money element. And and Rick, you know that. It's the return on investment. If I can reduce inflammation that's gum disease within uh, our diabetic population i am reducing diabetic retinopathy amputation of limbs all those kind of things so i bring this up because it's not about dental it's about oral health and the same we are moving away from cottage industry solo practices we are actually co-locating with our medical colleagues and our behavioral health colleagues but most importantly our community health worker colleagues and promotoras all those however they manifest themselves doulas they come from the community they go back to the community they are eyes ears hands and feet and Rick, you and I may treat, but they're doing education and prevention out in the field. And the kind of safety stuff you do as a physician, and you have 26 years head start on me, though I'm running fast to catch up, I can't be dragging you behind. I need to make sure that things are working. And I do carry my own weight because in a community health center, we would often mandate all provider staff meetings and the dentist would drag their feet. Who that, Who cares? They're talking about stuff I don't care about. And it's like the 20% that's important, you're offering them something. Who does infection control better than dentists? In all honesty, we're really good. And if there's an infection problem on the medical side, they'll often come and visit us. and. And it is a collaborative type work. So those pieces of a puzzle are, they're kind of fuzzy and diffuse when you get to regulation. Those things don't exist. And Kate, maybe you were expecting me to say the state dental licensing boards would do something. Mm -mm. Every state is different. And I have representatives of those entities that sat with me on the ADA's uh, culture of safety and dentistry work group. And she always had to be careful to say, I'm speaking for myself, not for them, because they're uh, not as advanced as even we were. So it's something that we're learning together, but the more we move away from dental and we move into oral health, Safety becomes much more prominent. Did I lose you there? No, no,
3: you okay. did not. No, I, I have no. some reacting questions unless other people want to go first.
2: No and I just want to say you know so I did all of my med school and training through the 90s when all this kind of transformation was taking place in medicine and it was much like what you said. I mean we had physicians are much more sounds like employed now than what dentists are, but back then it was a lot different in med- in medicine as well. And so, you know, kicking and screaming, going to some safety meetings is a very accurate description. You know, I'm a physician. I did all this training. I know what I'm doing. I do everything safe. I don't have any problems. The same things were being said at that time. Um, I also find it interesting because we used to, one of our complaints used to be, "Why well, should have just been a dentist. They can do whatever they want and do, you know, and there's nothing going on regulating them and everything else. And uh, um, the one catch to the whole thing, though, in medicine, with so many benefits being covered by CMS and whatever, they were able to put down, these are requirements or you don't get paid. Um, And so I guess without you guys having those benefits tied in there, there, you, there has to be a hook, a carrot. I mean, you can reach out to people and appeal to them to say, "Hey, you want to do the right thing?" Everybody thinks they're doing the right thing, but if nobody's reporting anything, nobody has any clue necessarily what you know what what the problem is or where the problem goes. And without the purse string, that's really what talks is money. At the end of the day, I hate to say it out loud, but that's you know it's true. Um, and so, you guys have a monumental task ahead of you. I think
4: we what well, we do and. When I had brought this to one of the other councils that addresses private practice, they gave me, they said, we will fight you tooth and nail because of the reasons I had said earlier, increased overhead to my practice, more more regulations, and you're telling my patients I'm unsafe. But when we went to the House of Delegates, quiet, because as you can imagine, It is politically incorrect to speak against safety, but at the same time, it is safe to be quiet and hope we go away. We were actually given a three-year mandate with no funding. And if you've been around big organizations, if you're given that big of a job with no funding, somebody wants you to die. (laughs) But you know what? COVID came. And I, after being 15 years, I had a really good budget. I funded it myself. Ouch!
1: <laughs>
4: and we survived, and we're 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 continuing to make headway. And I'm a firm believer that there is strength in numbers and diversity. It, this cannot just be organized dentistry. It we do need the specialties. We need Dental schools, we need, and we have medical representation with us, the insurance companies. So you sort of see, this is all pieces of, that's my favorite motif, pieces of a puzzle. I grew up with my grandma. And before you sit down at the table with her, she'd say, oh, honey, stop. Would you look under the table and see if there are any pieces I dropped? Because we cannot have a complete picture unless we're all at the table. There's some food for thought for you, isn't there? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Rick, thank you. We could not have come as far as we have without our medical colleagues. And uh, we're getting there slowly but surely. Next question, Kate.
3: So, before we started the show, we talked about uh, Sarah. Dr. Starlin and I talked about at ICAP, one of our main thrusts is going into facilities without cost and essentially consulting for infection control. And um, then we we report that back to facilities for them to fix of their own accord, right? They're the, the primary accountable people to fix what we find. Um, but then the bigger thing is presenting those results in aggregate, right? To start telling the story of in dentistry, very similar to the Patient Safety Foundation of, hey, did you all know that this is the way it should be? And 80% of facilities are not doing this. And so I feel like we walk on a tightrope all the time, that we have to be very careful how we report our opportunities to improve so that um, we essentially catch people, like they want to be interested to fix those things, but we don't want to scare people away. Um, our biggest fear with our dental outreach at this time is that somehow we would earn a bad name that, um, either what we recommend is not possible or that, um, we can get people in trouble, but at the same time, we have all this stuff that we see and we want to do something about it at a bigger level. And so I wonder, I imagine the patient safety foundation has a similar, uh, haunting backstory right is we hear all this stuff how do we get it at a system level where it starts making a difference without frightening people away
4: well several things one is can I assume that the consultations you're doing are to both public and private entities
3: you may assume yes
4: okay so let's talk about the public ones first and let's just use that we have safety net entities the largest percentage of those are federally qualified health
2: centers Mm -hmm. that
4: are funded by the federal government through the health resources services administration particularly the bureau of primary health care one of their principal mantras is we support medical dental integration wow rick there's life for us And, and (laughs) as I said, it's like, you have to, you have to go at it with a win-win. It's easy to point fingers and blame, but it's like, how can we make this that we all benefit? To be able to share uh, a front door, back door approach, meaning front door is you share it with through the primary care associations uh, for people who are listening that don't know what that is where like medical and dental societies they represent the providers the more the private side though we work across every every aspect but we do a lot of advocacy on the private side primary care associations are funded in every state to represent the public entities and they are, they are funded right from HRSA. And to be able to have the people you work with share it with their project officer. And, and it's not about counting. Uh, dentistry is big at counting. I have done this many fillings. I have done this many this. And my, my question is, oh, those are all nice. But remember how I said one of our prime partners are community health workers. In, in the little community where I grew up, Carlton, Michigan, let's just say there's a community health worker that has 300 clients. And we'll just say they're all diabetic. He has access to the individual A1Cs of those people as well as a collective community number. To be able to add oral health prevention case management, care coordination into that regular mix when he's going into people's homes and he's trusted. And it's like, he's not just getting people to the dental clinic, but he's talking to them how if you take good care of your teeth, you're not going to lose them as a pregnant woman. You're not passing on the bacteria that causes decay to your babies. They are not getting early childhood caries, they are entering kindergarten with a generally healthy mouth. You get my, you get my gist, Mm -hmm. but after a year, that same community health worker goes back and look at those A1Cs. And I would bet you they're improved just by virtue of talking. And the thing is, I can't claim full responsibility, but I'm sure as hell going to claim a lot that oral health has made a difference here. And the more you repeat stuff, people listen. And I hate to say this, but you just have to watch the news at night. And there are people repeating things that have no basis in fact, but they are gaining traction. We need to be doing that as well, but we need to have outcomes. So... That's an important piece. So the front door is by going and helping educate the feds and look at the difference we've made and your clients, they want to do that because we want the feds to smile upon us and they'll give us more money so that we can see more people. The backdoor approach, all of those entities have elected congressional people at the state and federal level. If the feds or the governor are not paying attention to have a congressional person knock on their back door of their office and say, hey, by the way, oral health is important. That makes a big difference because a hundred good letters eh, five bad letters or people knocking on your door saying you're not paying attention, people pay attention. So it has to be both. If I went to one of your clients and I just ask I wish I knew. I used to be a Nebraska project officer, but whoever your your two senators are, but if I ran into them in the hallway and said, by the way, what good safety work and infection control you know Sunnyvale Valley Health Center is doing. If they look at me with a blank stare, your entity hasn't done its job. The senator may not know, but their health, uh, their staffer who does health stuff, they need to know. And that's part of your job too, you know, Kate and Sarah, in terms of are you sharing that information? Because it's only through raising awareness that we actually make a difference. I know I sound like Pollyanna and I do have some really nice, you know, for Halloween, I'll have those pigtails on, but I can tell you it has made a difference over the years and you just have to stick to your guns and even in organized dentistry where they seem siloed, the vast number, and I'm sure it's true in medicine, it's a bell curve. The crazies live on the ends. We are totally against whatever this is. We love whatever this is. The 80% of providers in the middle don't even know what it is. And they'll often hear the 10% screaming on both sides. They'll put their heads back down and work. To be able to offer them a clear, concise report from the Dental Patient Safety Foundation and how to avoid having a patient catch fire in your chair. Right. Do you love how I got back to your question at hand eventually? Yeah,
3: I did. Thank you.
0: So I'm really, I'm really excited that you are bringing awareness to all of this stuff. And um, I think at some level, that's ICAP school as well. Um, you know, we're funded to support these programs, but on the back end, we take all of our data and put it into research briefs and abstracts that we take to different um association meetings so this last year I was able to do two different abstracts I took one to APIC and one to OSAP I don't know if you saw my poster at OSAP Steve but I saw the, all of them did you, Thank you. Awesome. I did. um but you know standing talking to providers with these posters and them looking at these areas for improvement opportunities for improvement that we've identified that we have hard data on um Everyone's like, well, yeah, I always knew, but I didn't know it was really that bad. Or, you know, we all kind of know what's going on, but nobody has come out and actually done a report on it. So we're really glad. I'm really glad that we're getting some some traction and we're getting people to notice.
4: So let me, let me offer you a thought. Sure. So you spent time and money and blood, sweat and tears to develop that very informative poster, correct? Yes. How many times have you presented it? Once. (laughs) So I just wanna say, part of it's about awareness raising, there are other interested people and I'll give you a Mm -hmm. couple examples. NOAA, the National Network for uh, Oral Health Access, they represent all the FQHCs in the country they are always looking for posters. And it's like a poster is not turned down hardly ever, especially if you got it by one. But think about the National Oral Health Conference. I'm only talking right now the public health side of life. But when you think about the Nebraska Dental Association, they have an annual meeting to be able to call up their executive director or dentists only want to talk to dentists. You know who your dentist is in Nebraska, or you call Jessica Miske, you know, and the pediatric dentist, most of you know, and move move stuff forward. But you have a dentist say, by the way, I know someone that has some really good information. And there may be a small bit of cost to get there. It's money well spent. And a lot of times you can do, especially with COVID, poster sessions are sometimes virtual as well. And I would encourage you, both the private and the public side, don't just, because you were preaching to the choir. I'm an upper second tenor and I'd love people to preach to me so I can sing better. But (laughs) And OSAP needs to grow too. But it's those other people that you can see like the glaze fall off their eyes. And if you just get their attention and if I say dental patient safety foundation, often enough, someone will Google it and look same thing with, with your work, uh, getting it out there and, uh, and be choosy, you know, uh, CareQuest used to be the Dentiquest Foundation, more money than God, you know, with the sale of Dentiquest, And they're, but they're not giving money away, but they're looking for people to invest in and to be able to go to their site and you will see they're interested in safety, value-based care, medical-dental collaboration, veterans care, and I'm just naming a few. For you to offer something that is a piece of a puzzle that fits the picture they're trying to draw. Amazingly, if you look at it from a different angle, you see your own face in it. Grandma said, if you don't ask, you don't get. And if you make, and we're only talking dental here. And I don't want to talk dental. I want to talk oral health. How many of you, and Rick knows this. One of the things that came out of 30 years of embracing Lucian Leap was the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Now, they don't embrace oral health as much as they could, but they sponsored two open wide symposia and there is a third one. And it's not associated with IHI, the meeting this year. We actually, the ADA's annual session is in Houston. So, we're holding it at the University of Texas, Houston, where Mohammed Walji is in uh, residence. And he is on, he's a nationally known, internationally known uh, data researcher in safety. He is sponsoring Open Wide 3. And it is another opportunity to bring people together of like minds. And I I was at the first two, and we'd have like a hundred people, maybe only fifty the first time, a hundred the second. But I actually have private practice people coming to the meeting, and leaders, and I didn't break their arm or steal their children. <laughs> They're actually coming. So, but think about the medical side of life. Community health workers they are thirsty for. Oral health and safety information. They actually have meetings too. Have you been to one of those? Just a thought.
3: We I don't know if we have been to one of those. We definitely like. um, We're reaching out to the the head of the FQHCs because not only do we at ICap work with dental, we also work with outpatient, and so Mm -hmm. we're trying to. The FQHCs have actually been super great partners for dental because of their accreditation status. They're more interested in a free consultation than necessarily a private practice office. Um, So, yes.
4: Well, uh, David Perot, if you know that name, he's the former chair, dentist, oral surgeon, physician who was the chair of uh, the joint commission Uh, He's retired from that, but he was, I want to say, the head of the California Hospital Association. He sits on our safety committee. So there are people one step away from the people that matter who can nudge. Uh, I will tell you, and Rick, no offense intended, our medical people are hesitant when the dental people get too cozy because it's like, oh, if we start addressing oral health, that might take away from medical. And it's like, excuse me, oral health, integral to overall health. We used to say that oral health and behavioral health were the stepchildren of medicine, but we had a (laughs) blood pack with, with mental health. It's like whichever one of us gets there first, the other one has to come along. And I have to tell you, behavioral health, is mainstream, oral health is not yet, but we're getting there, we're clawing our way in and we will not do it on the backs of medicine. We actually wanna help them. We're not gonna pull them down, we're actually gonna boost them up. Can you tell I was a Dominican in former life, so preaching is part of my, you know, (laughs) part of my thing. I was a vision in white at one time, so there. I didn't tell you about that, that's a whole nother story. All right.
3: Um, we're coming close to the top of the hour, Sarah. We yeah. are. My five I'm pages. So, I'm no
4: sorry coffee. I talk so much.
2: That's okay. No, it's great. Hi, you were here. Yeah. yeah. People hear us every week. So we want to, that's, <laughs> that's why we have you.
4: Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. Well, I love the idea of dirty drinks when the National Oral Health Conference, when we were totally virtual. I had the privilege of being the virtual bartender one night and teaching people how to make black Manhattans and tequila sidecars. Let's just say it was a very interesting Zoom session. Okay. <laughs> Sounds it like was. we need to redo that one. Well, <laughs> hey, it's all about it's it's all about antiseptics.
2: I was going to so say, that, that leads to oral health, right? Oral <laughs> kills uh, a few bacteria. Uh,
4: yeah. People <laughs> smile more. It's all, good. it's all good.
2: That's right.
0: That's right. We have submitted a proposal to present at the National Oral Health Conference.
4: Excellent. So
0: if you will be there, I might see you.
4: Uh, I do plan to be there. Awesome. So it will be, is it in Orlando this year? I think so. Yeah, that's good. I'm not a big fan of. Florida at the moment, but I would go for that. So, it was truly a pleasure and I'm a resource. I will send you some links uh, and I I will share, if you haven't seen it, the Journal of the California Dental Association, it's free. And it was in July and September of 2019, two back-to-back issues, We're totally on safety and dentistry, wonderful resources, and uh, just really solid, solid information. And people can look at it at their convenience, but I am honored, humbled that you asked me uh, to do this. And now that you've heard me, it's like, why did we ask? This guy here. But it's okay.
2: Not it all at all. Works. Not at all. No,
3: it's been wonderful, Steve. Thank you for being here with us.
4: It's my pleasure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I already have uh, one of my my uh, good friends is has a serious phobia with dentists. Anyway, and when I tell him about people catching fire in dentist chairs, it's just going to add another dimension to that whole conversation. I would be
4: happy to speak with him privately. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs>
1: my
4: but I look forward to seeing you at the National Oral Health Conference, at Open Wide 3, at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, or at your local watering hole, where we're probably discussing the benefits of fluoride within certain adult beverages. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye now.
0: Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at Dirty Underscore Drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of Dirty Drinks.